Well, the, what I was going to say is that, you know, it's, there's kind of two sides to the equation here at Cross Point. On one hand, it's business as usual. On the other hand, it's not business as usual. So um, we've got some things going on. It's kind of a unique season for us right now. And if you were here last Sunday, you, you caught wind of that. Ask you to keep praying for us as a church. Um, in terms of, of business as usual, you see that we've got a lot of things starting up this fall. I mean, this is what happens in the fall, especially in September. So I've got a little uh, like echo, booming, banging, something. If you could help me there, brother. At least what I'm hearing. What's that? Connection? Okay. I guess we're stuck with it. If it's a connection. I guess it's too bad. I'll take the handheld. Yeah, it's, it's troubling me. <laughs> um, but anyway, we've got all these startups that are happening right now, and we want you to get involved because this is our church, right? And, and God has given us a mission as a church to uh, proclaim the gospel and to reach out and, and be a blessing to those who are in need, whether they be on the outside or the inside. So please, please get involved. Um, I was just watching that, that video, the community service meal, and John said you need people, people to help. Uh, I think you need, we need somebody on that basketball court because, I mean, did you catch Matt and what he was doing? It's like, good grief, Matt. This is a little kid. And you're like... Go ahead, try to shoot. I'm going to stuff it down your face. Man, come on. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, yeah, please continue to be involved. I was hoping that would tighten this, but I don't think so. Well, listen, um, on the side of, okay. Boy, everything is fine until I got up here, right? <laughs> Just give Is it on? Test, okay. On the side of things not being um, so normal... You know, I appreciate the transparency this morning, Andrew and John, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to be transparent. Um, that's the best place to be as a church. And so, um, in light of our lead pastor no longer being with us, um, you, you guys have, have felt that this whole week, haven't you? Like, it's been a tough week. And then, I don't know if you sense it, but like the toughest part of all for me is when I walk in this church. Like it happened last Sunday and, and then this Sunday. There's, there's a sense of loss, isn't there? Okay. And there's a whole row here that I look at right now. And there's, a, there's an emptiness that I feel when I look at that, that row. You know what that is, don't you? You know what you're feeling or what, what is called what you're going through right now? It's grief. 
It's grief. That's what it is. So grief basically is emotional pain that accompanies loss. And so I want to speak toward this today. This is where the Lord has led me. This is not my own doing. I I want you to know that. I feel that this is the word that God wants to speak to you today. And I was very sensitive to that this week. I always am, but especially this week. I'm like, God, these are your people. These are your sheep, ultimately. And they need to hear from you. They need your word to minister to them in their time of need. So in most cases, grief lasts for a period of weeks or months, maybe even a year or two. And then at some point, you move on from this emotional pain. But there's times that it... It can be prolonged, and it can last for years, and you can kind of get stuck in grief. Um, You know, we usually associate grief with the loss of a parent or a spouse or a child or best friend, but there are other significant losses that can lead to grief. So you can lose a pet and experience grief. You, You can lose a job and grieve that loss, or, or maybe go through divorce and grieve the loss of a marriage. There's other relationships that we can lose and grieve. We can lose a home and grieve that. So there's a number of things that may be significant to us in terms of meaning, and we lose that thing, and then there's grief. We, we experience grief. Now, um, several years ago, a couple of psychiatrists observed that there seemed to be certain stages that people go through in this whole grieving process. Now, maybe you've, you've heard these. Um, they came out with five particular stages. Uh, somebody has said there's seven, actually, but we'll stick with the original five. Uh, denial is the first thing. And that's you can't believe what has just happened. You're shocked. It's kind of surreal to you. And then there's anger. And that's where you begin to explore why it happened and all the consequences that relate to that thing. And, and it's often, or it can be directed at God at this particular point. God, why? Like, what's going on here? Um, usually there, there's no bounder, boundaries to the anger. It can just kind of move around and have its, have its being inside of you. Uh, then there's bargaining. And, and this is where you enter a stage where you begin to ask the question, what could I have done maybe to help prevent this? So all the if-onlys, if-only this, if-only that. And uh, this is where guilt can enter in. And then there's depression, Not long-term depression, but more like sadness. This is where reality begins to settle in. Your loved one's not coming back. Things are not going to return to the way they were. And then finally, there's a place of acceptance. This is where you reach a place where you're willing to embrace the new reality, the new norm. And you live to learn with your loss, or learn to live with your loss. You don't get over it, but you learn to live with that loss 
in your life. There's no exact blueprint. Everybody grieves differently. These particular stages can overlap. Some of you might skip through one and, or, or get through one rather quickly and move on to another stage. On the other hand, you can get stuck in one particular place. And really, when I look out here today, I would imagine that we're kind of all over the board on this. Like, you guys are experiencing these stages um, in, in your own way, in your own timing, and, and we're just kind of in different places. But nonetheless, there is no doubt that you've experienced this news emotionally, and it has done something to you emotionally. And it's important, important I think, to recognize these emotions that you're experiencing because recognizing this uh, kind of normalizes it. And that's, that's good, right? It's important to realize that there's, there's nothing weird or crazy about you just because you're angry about something that happened, right? I mean, that's normal, and it's good to understand that. And then also, I think it's good to understand it because when you're talking to somebody and you're talking through what's happened around here and, and you hear the person you're talking to reflecting their thoughts to you, maybe you can kind of identify where they're at when you realize what happens through grief and how we grieve, and then you can speak toward that particular place they may seem to be in. So it helps to minister to one another. Now, it's good to acknowledge your grief and not ignore it. As painful as it may be, we need to work through it. If not, it can affect other areas in your life, especially other relationships. You know, avoiding grief has become a thing in our culture. Uh, not so much in other cultures. I think they s- still give time to grieve the loss of a loved one. Uh, many times, like y- you'll see in some of these cultures, there's a whole week devoted to, to the process. But in our culture, I think a lot of people have started trying to go around grief rather than go through it. And, and one of the ways I've seen it is, is people avoiding funerals. I don't know if you know anybody in your life like that, but I, I know people that they won't go to funerals because they just don't want to deal with that pain. I even know a relative who wouldn't go to his, his own mom's funeral for that reason. So... Um, there is, this, there is this thing out there where many people try to avoid grief, and that's, that's not healthy. We don't need to do that. We need to acknowledge it. We need to own it. We need to process it. We need to go before the Lord with it. You know, you'll be, you'll be happy to know that the Bible doesn't avoid grief. Okay? The Bible doesn't avoid grief. If you read the Bible, you'll see that the pain of grief is addressed time and again throughout Scripture. Um, The Bible says, first of all, there's a time to grieve. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, 
and a time to dance. So there's a time for everything under the sun. Paul says in Romans 12, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and then weep with those who weep. You know, there's an entire book in the Bible devoted to grieving. Do you know that? Lamentations. That entire book is devoted to the subject of grieving. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, as well as his self-titled prophecy of Jeremiah, which also includes many references to grief and many acknowledgments of grief in his life. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. The book of Job. How many of you read the book of Job? That entire book is a commentary on grief, is it not? I mean, the whole book. And we like to talk about Job's friends, but they show up right after uh, his, his uh, loss, and they sit with him. What was it, like a week? They sit with him for a week and don't say a word. They're just identifying with him. And they're just there with him, just a ministry of presence, if you will. Now, we wish they'd kept their mouths shut, of course. Many psalms address the subject of grief. Indeed, there are some psalms that are devoted entirely to the matter of grief. They're called laments. A lament, by the way, is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow through prayer and song. So they wrote songs about their grief. Isn't that, that's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, we just, it's hard for us to relate to this, to this whole grieving thing and entering in on that level. You know, like, if we just back out of these instances... And, and just look at the Bible as a whole, you'll see that actually the Bible depicts all of life as grief. Milton once wrote that we, humans, lost something incredibly significant in the beginning, paradise. And paradise revolved around relationship with God. Sin ruined that. And since the fall, the earth has become one big graveyard. Even if you've been reconciled to God, you're not immune from grief, are you? Romans 2, uh, 8, 22 and 23 says this. For we know that all creation has been groaning, insert the word grieving, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. So we believers also groan, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. 
You see, as long as we live and move, yeah, amen. I need that new body. And I'm looking forward to it. As long as we live and move and have our being in this broken world, we experience grief. What's more, you know, we experience it vicariously. Like, we grieve on behalf of other people who grieve. <laughs> right? Sometimes I find myself trying to limit my knowledge of other people because I want to cut down on the grief. Right? Sometimes there will be a post on Facebook. Now, I don't make posts on Facebook, maybe rarely. I just troll. <laughs> so I, you know, look at all your posts. And sometimes somebody will bring up somebody that needs prayer, and I'm like, I got enough people to pray for. I'm not, I'm not going to read it. Now, I know that that's not good, right? Like, I could at least say a quick prayer, God, minister to this person, bring healing. But it speaks toward, what I'm trying to say is it speaks toward this, this weight that we feel not just our own personal grief, but from the people around us that we know and even don't know. I was, uh, we've, we've done like a spring treatment uh, at Children's Hospital for the last few years. Just one treatment. So if you ride by in the fall and you see weeds out there, it's, it's not our fault. Because we've worked through a contractor. And so the director of grounds called a couple weeks ago and says, hey, you know, we'd like to do more here. I'd like to meet with you and, and talk about uh, our needs. So the other day I drove up and, and met with her. And we surveyed everything and talked about a plan going forward. But I was kind of, and they've done some renovations around there. And uh, there's this spot we were standing in the back that was kind of raised. And, and I could look out and, and see Children's Hospital, uh, I'm sorry, Ronald McDonald House is, is where I was. That's where I was. So I could look out and see Ronald McDonald House. I could look over and see Children's Hospital. I could see Freighter, you know, from that vantage point. And I stood there and I thought, oh, the, the pain that these places, this spot represents. The grief. I thought about parents in Ronald McDonald House and coming and going with their children that are residents there. So I was, I was feeling their loss, their burden. Now, aren't you thankful the Bible doesn't say at this point, good luck. You got yourself into this, so best of luck. That's not what the Bible says. What, what God says in the Bible is this, your loss is my loss. Isn't that amazing? And then he goes on to say, I'm coming down myself, and I'll get you through this. And so God comes down and takes upon himself human flesh and bone. And this is how Isaiah describes his existence. He says, he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with deepest grief. If there's ever been a verse that, that solidifies this idea that Jesus identified with us, that's it. 
Now, we have to say, though, in regards to Jesus, that his grief was much greater on a scale than ours because he experienced rejection like none of us will ever experience. But Jesus' existence was described in terms of grief. He was a man of sorrows. So I would imagine if you met Jesus on the streets, you wouldn't know this, right? I don't think you would have noticed it, but I think if you could have got to know him and talk to him about his, his deepest feelings, he would have brought this to light, that there was much sorrow in his life. There's a place, you know, that, that says about Jesus in the New Testament, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. (laughs) Ultimately, we're told he would be cut off from the land of the living with no descendants. The other day, uh, one of my employees had a birthday. And I said, well, how old are you, Rob? He's like, 33. So I looked at him. And I thought, wow, 33. That's when Jesus was crucified. I mean, like, I look at my employee and, you know, he's got dreams. He's looking ahead. He's thinking about the future and, you know, just dreaming about life. I'm like, that was Jesus. Like, he had these hopes. He had these dreams, but he gave them all up. And he died at this young age. At some point in Jesus' life, he knew he was going to die. He knew he came to die. Can you, can you imagine walking around with that weight in your heart? That you're not going to live very long? Now, one of the places in Scripture to see Jesus' acquaintance with grief, like vividly, is in John 11. So I'm going to spend the rest of my time with you. In John 11, I've got three brief observations that I want to make to help guide us through John 11. First of all, it's this, here instead of there, weakness instead of strength, and then hope instead of despair. So first of all, here instead of there. John 11, if you don't recognize it, is the story of Lazarus. And here's what happens. Um, This is like just before Jesus is going to Jerusalem for the last time. So he's, he's about to be crucified. So this was just prior to that. And uh, he gets news that his friend Lazarus is really sick. And so it's, it's not really elaborated on much in Scripture, but it seems that, that Jesus was really close to Lazarus, as well as his two sisters, Mary and, and Martha. It's because in verse 5 of chapter 11, it says that Jesus loved them. And, and that's not often said in Scripture, Jesus, Jesus loving uh, someone. It's not, it's not explicitly stated. So the idea is that he really had... 
close affection for this family. So, hearing that his friend is close to death, Jesus rushes to be by his side. Do you know the story? You know that's not true, don't you? What happens? Uh, Verse 6, I believe it is. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Now that's, that's odd, isn't it? That's, that's kind of not normal. So two days later, after he heard the news, he goes and he finds out that Lazarus has died. And so he's met first by Martha and then later by Mary. And they both say to him, Lord, if you had been here, then our brother wouldn't have died. And then by extension, this whole scene wouldn't be taking place right now. Because there were a bunch of mourners there. They were all crying. They were weeping. That's what's filling the air. Crying. Weeping. Sadness and sorrow. And then the shortest and most moving verse in the entire Bible, when Jesus sees this scene, John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. which is an indication that Jesus identified with what was going on. He sympathized with the death that was taking place or that had taken place and all the pain that this personal loss had caused. You know, Mary and Martha, I have to say, their, their point is valid, isn't it? Isn't that a valid point in regards to Jesus? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Wouldn't you have said the same thing? Of course. I mean, he's Jesus, and he heals people. He works miracles. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then the crowd was scratching their head too and they're like they see Jesus cry and they go oh how he how he loved him and then others in the crowd wait a minute yeah he loved him but couldn't he have healed him I mean he like he heals blind people he couldn't have healed Lazarus so they're kind of scratching their heads too and wondering you know what's up with this So the grand point is obvious, isn't it? Jesus intentionally let Lazarus die. That that is obvious. He made a choice that caused him to arrive late, which resulted in Lazarus dying. Because when he got the news, Lazarus wasn't dead. And yes, if he had gotten there, he could have healed Lazarus. So that is all true. So we must ask the question, why would you do such, Jesus? Why would you put these people through this when you could have prevented it? You see, that that is the logical conclusion to draw. Why, Jesus? Why? Why all this unnecessary pain? 
Jesus, if you had been here, not there, three months ago, maybe we wouldn't be going through our pain right now. You see how that works? Jesus, if you had been here, we wouldn't have been experiencing this loss. The obvious conclusion is that he intentionally did not intervene, as is true with Lazarus. Now, that might be problematic because it goes against the way we naturally reason. It's counterintuitive to us. We don't get it. If we have the power to intervene and save someone from hurting, we will use that power and do that, will we not? So we don't get it. We don't understand it. This is, this is a conflict for us. Why? Why did you allow this to happen? Why all this pain? It seems so unnecessary for this good church that seemed to be in a good place to have to go through this. I don't get it. And I think it's okay for you to express that to the Lord. Because it's true. We don't get it. That's how we think. But here is how we should think. Is he wiser than us? Are his ways better than ours? Is he good? Is he good to us? Will we trust him? Will we accept where we're at and be here for now? Because I got to tell you, when pain comes, you know what we want to do, don't you? We want to fly the coop. You know, there's a place in Psalm, I forget which Psalm, but David says, Oh, that I had the wings of a bird. I would fly away from here. We want to be there. We want to be away from here. We don't want to be going through this. Like pain avoidance. That's who we are. What we don't think is in terms of the new thing that God has in store. We don't. Now, I know it's a little early to be talking in terms of new things. I get it. So I'm just planting the seed. Planting the seed. You know, another reason that it's hard to be here is because it feels weak. Feels weak. We don't like to be in a weak place. We don't like to feel helpless. Right? We want to be able to fix things and change things. But sometimes you can't. 
Sometimes it's out of our hands. Sometimes God wants us in a place of weakness instead of strength. How about this passage? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now you can go study and find out what that was exactly. It's, it's hard to know it. Uh, but three different times, he begs the Lord to take this away from him. He's like, please take this from me. And in his mind, I'm, I'm sure he's thinking, I could be so much better at what you've asked me to do if you just take this from me. But here's what God says to him each time. So he prays three times, and then each time God says this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And then Paul responds by saying, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. Did he use the word boast? I think he did. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure. What? You're going too far now. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then... Say it with me. I am strong. How about some backward thinking, right? How about some counterintuitive perspective? When you're weak, he's strong. Now, why is that? Why is that? What happens when you're weak? You become dependent, don't you? Now... You, you've just hit the jackpot, spiritually speaking, by the way. When you, when you reach that place of dependence, that's also a place of humility. Now, you're in prime position for God to work through you. How many of you feel weak right now? There's a purpose in our pain. Listen, God speaks to us in our pain. We cry out to God more, and then God speaks to us in our pain. How many, I guarantee you that many of you prayed like you haven't prayed in a long time this last week. I guarantee you there was many more cries to God coming out of this community than has been in a long time. Listen at what C.S. Lewis says about pain. He wrote, In a book called The Problem of Pain, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In what sense? What are we deaf to? We're deaf to the idea that we can manage this on our own. (laughs) That's our deafness. But God shouts to us through our pain. And we listen. We hear him and we say, God, I need you. I need you. Do you understand that that's the best place you could possibly be? So pain 
Listen, here's what pain does. It positions us for pleasure. The ultimate pleasure. So I'm not talking about a cheap substitute. I'm talking about resurrection pleasure. That pleasure. Now Jesus says to Martha, he says, um, you, you know, she's like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And here's what Jesus says. He told her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, Martha says, well, sure he will. Everyone uh, is going to rise at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I'm not really talking about the last day. <laughs> I'm talking about right now because I am the resurrection and the life. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't you have paid to be there in that moment when Jesus stands in all authority because all authority had been given him in heaven and earth and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, sorry, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. So what Jesus is saying is, is listen, the resurrection starts with me right now. We're not talking about just some future event when we're all going to be raised from the dead. No, we're talking about a revolution that starts with Jesus. We're talking about new creation. Right? So in other words, you've got death, you've got all these graveyards, and then you've got Jesus. And he starts something totally new, and that's life, not death. New life, new life. You know what that says to us? It says, listen, whatever death may be going on around you, around this community right now, you can look into that death, and you can say, he's the resurrection and the life. Like, like I... I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why we got to go through this. I don't know why we got to experience. But I know one thing. There's hope. There's hope. And, and see, that is the difference between Christian grieving and non-Christian grieving, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is Paul talking to the believers there. He says, because, you know, some people were... Um, spreading lies about the, the uh, resurrection of all believers. And he says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. You see that? For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So... <laughs> So, see, we don't grieve like people who have no hope. So whatever grieving you might engage in, whatever loss you might feel, you have to, according to the word of God, insert the hope that is consistent with who Jesus is. You have to do that. We don't grieve. You, you can Google how to, how to grieve. Google it. 
And if you exclude all the Christian articles, you'll see all sorts of things, but none of them talk about having a hope in the midst of your grieving. You know what Jesus did? He turned around, went to the tomb, and said, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) Come out of that grave. And he was definitely dead, by the way. He'd been dead four days, and he stunk. Because decomp had already set in. That's what all the people said. Everybody said it. He stinks. Leave him alone. (laughs) And Jesus calls Lazarus forth. Jesus speaks into death, and he calls forth new life. Listen, I want you to seek the Lord and ask him to speak new life into your hearts, into your minds. I want you to trust him even though it's hard to see where this is going. I want you to trust him. I want you to hold fast to him. And I want you to believe that somehow he's going to do something really unique and new in light of what we're going through. And not just for us, but I, I believe for Dave and Vicky as well and for their family. That's how we got to believe. That's how we got to respond. Let's pray. Father, everything that we do comes by way of your spirit. And um, there's not one thing that, that I can ask anybody to do or commit to that they can do in their own strength. So, Father, give us the ability to take up this word that we've heard today and to apply it. So, like, make it go deep, Father. Make it become a foundational um, truth in our lives so that we refuse to look into uh, the unknown and, and, and do it without hope. Now, and we're talking about real hope. We're not saying, well, I hope this happens and I hope that happens. No, we're saying that there's a real hope in Jesus Christ. And based on his resurrection and the new life that ensues from his resurrection and the new creation that's ahead of us, we know that this is moving in that same direction. So give us hope. Give us hope. And as a result, may God be glorified in his name. Amen. And if you wouldn't mind standing with me, I'll give you a benediction here. Romans 15.13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Go with the hope of God this morning.